Grace, mercy, and peace be with you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The key message from the very beginning of the book of Acts has been this. Jesus Christ, he is the promised Messiah who has risen from the dead. From the very beginning, we're getting near the the end of the book of Acts as we've been systematically reading through it. And from the very beginning, this has been the key central theme. Jesus is the promised Christ and he has risen from the dead. This has been the good news that has been proclaimed to both Jews and Gentiles alike. And we learn here in the book of Acts how central this message is to our Christian faith. Jesus is the Christ risen from the dead. Last week, in our walking through the book of Acts, we left off in Acts chapter 20, when the Apostle Paul had to say goodbye to some of his dearly loved friends and family in the city of Ephesus, where he had spent almost three years. And he said to them, I am going down to Jerusalem to celebrate the annual Pentecost event But I have heard that there are threats against me in the city of Jerusalem, and things may not go well for me there. This is what he foretold to them, and so he said that one last goodbye to them. Paul was right. He made it to Jerusalem in time to celebrate the Pentecost event, but in less than one week of being in Jerusalem, he was in chains. He was arrested. You can read about it in Acts chapter 22. He was arrested, put in prison, in the city of Jerusalem, and from there, things continue to escalate. Here's what happened. I'll give you a recap. The Apostle Paul is put in prison, and while he's in prison, 40 Jewish people in the city of Jerusalem come together, and they make a plot to kill Paul, and they make a vow that they will no longer eat or drink until Paul is dead. And their plan is not to send him to trial and have him executed. Their plan is to ambush him and kill him and just get it over with. Crazy. So these 40 Jews make this plot and they say to the chief priests, hey chief priests, why don't you call for Paul to be sent out of prison to come down to you and he can explain himself further to you. And their plan is, uh, in that transportation, like you've seen in all those movies, right, when the prisoner is being transported, that's when you know something's about to happen, right? That's what, that's what they do. They're planning on ambushing him during that moment of transport. Well, Paul has a sister, and his sister has a son, so Paul's nephew, and Paul's nephew is a young adult man that, that's living in the city of Jerusalem, and, and he's in the inn with these Jews, and so he hears about this plot to kill Paul. So his nephew goes to Paul in prison and says, Paul, there's a plot to ambush you on the way to to the chief priest. So Paul reaches out to his commanding officers, those who are keeping watch over him, and he says, hey, they're going to try to kill me while while I go to the chief priest. Well, it's those people's job to keep their prisoner safe. So under armed guard, secretly that night, they take Paul out of prison in Jerusalem, up to the city of Caesarea, which is north of Jerusalem a little bit. And in Caesarea, that is where the Roman governor lives and where the Roman government can actually hear a trial for a criminal. And there in Caesarea, the current Roman governor is a guy by the name of Felix. All right, We'll put a picture up here on the screen of 
Felix, I don't know. That's, all right, we'll pretend that's Felix, okay? So do you remember in the story of, of Jesus, the Roman governor during Jesus' time, his, his name was Pontius Pilate. Remember that, that guy's name, Pontius Pilate? He was the one who had authority to sentence Jesus to death. Well, that guy has been replaced now, and, and Felix is that guy, the Roman governor. All right, so Paul is now safe in the city of Caesarea, and an actual legal trial can take place. Felix is ready to hear the case. And so Felix calls down to the Jews in Jerusalem and says, hey, I'm ready to hear the case. So they come on up to Caesarea and they put together their prosecution against Paul. And they don't have much against Paul other than they say Paul has been for years coming and desecrating our synagogues and and now he's been in the temple and he's desecrating our temple. He's causing a big problem. They don't have a lot of proof against Paul that he's done anything to break Roman law. So you can only be executed for breaking the Roman law. And there's nothing that he's done, really. And so, so Felix keeps him in custody. He, there's nothing to charge him with for death, but, but he's kept in prison in the city of Caesarea and kind of on house arrest. His friends can come and visit him uh, and tend to his needs. And it's kind of interesting, actually, but Felix, it's, it's recorded in the book of Acts. Go home and read this. Felix oftentimes calls for Paul to come out of prison and visit with him. Felix is very curious about Paul. So they spend a lot of time together. It actually says that Felix was kind of hoping that Paul would have a big monetary payment for him. That, that people would come to his aid and pay him off. So Felix was kind of trying to win the company of the prisoner, which is interesting. But he's kept in prison for two years. This, this goes on for two years, all right? He's kept in prison for two years, and, and after a while, Felix is removed from office. I don't know why, but by the Emperor Nero, and Felix is replaced by another guy by the name of Festus, all right? Maybe this is where people get the names for their cats. I don't know, old Roman governors, Felix and Festus. Don't those sound like good cat names? I, I think so. I'm not a cat guy. I don't know. All right, here's the, Paul is, Paul is a prisoner. He's a prisoner. He's a prisoner for the gospel, for the sake of the gospel, because of his faith in Jesus. There are many stories of Christians being imprisoned and even killed for their Christian faith, even in, current, in the current day world. Throughout this series in the book of Acts, I I shared a number of weeks ago about persecution that's happening to our Christian brothers and sisters throughout the world. But today I want to share one story that I find uh, personally to have a, I think, a great connection uh, in a real-world practical uh, example of what Paul was going through. And it's this story of an American pastor from North Carolina by the name of Andrew Brunson. I don't know how how much you've seen about this in the news. It wasn't all that well covered. But Andrew Brunson was an American pastor who served as a missionary in Turkey for about 20 years until he was arrested in 2016. I don't don't know what news you pay attention to, but in 2016, there was a a big coup attempt where the, the people were trying to overthrow the Turkish government. And so after all of that quieted down, the Turkish government really cracked down on those that they thought had or potentially had some sort of role in that coup. And so uh, some of the charges that were brought against Andrew Brunson were that he was a supporter of the coup. Uh, Some said that that he uh, was a secret spy of the CIA 
and that the church that he had in Turkey was a secret meeting place for the CIA and for uh, the Turkish coup resistance people to meet and to share intelligence. So all these charges came against him. There were even charges against Andrew Brunson that he was a Mormon uh, zealot who was trying to uh, infiltrate the Muslim country. All right. Andrew Brunson's not a, not a Mormon. He's a, he's a Christian, a Presbyterian, actually. But all these charges were being stacked against him as he is in prison. And on and on it went. At one point when he was in Turkish prison, he was in a cell that was designed to hold eight people, and it actually had 21 people in it. Can you imagine? And he, he, rec he recounts these stories and said that most of the other inmates were Muslims who worked very, very hard at trying to get him to recant his faith and to try to convert him to Islam. And standing in the courtroom one day, he had hours and hours and hours in Turkish courtrooms. And one day, on one occasion, facing up to 35 years in prison, if convicted guilty, this is what he said in that Turkish courtroom. I am an innocent man on all these charges. I reject them. I know why I am here. I am here to suffer in Jesus' name. What a bold claim of faith. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine? I'm going to go back to the story of Paul, and we'll come back to Pastor Brunson in a bit, but back to Paul. He's been in prison two years under Felix, and now Festus is the Roman governor. So there's a new government, which provides a new opportunity for Paul, and also a new opportunity for his accusers. His accusers don't waste any time. Within the first few days of Festus taking charge, the Jews are right back in Caesarea and trying to bring a new accusation against him. But what they try to do is they go back to that old uh, transportation, attack the transportation plot. Okay? So they come to Festus and they say, Hey, Festus, why don't you release Paul out of Caesarea, send him back to Jerusalem, we'll handle him down there. And those same Jews plan another ambush. Seriously, they plan another ambush. But in that courtroom in front of Festus, Paul cries out and he says, I want my case to be heard before Caesar. Before Caesar, the emperor Nero in the city of Rome. Under Roman law, a prisoner like that could appeal to Caesar. That's a bold claim, though. Things could go very, very poorly. But once he appeals to Caesar, his request has to be granted. And so Paul now is in waiting for transportation to go to Rome. While in waiting for transportation to go to Rome, we get to Acts 26, which we read for today. And the king of the Jews, this guy by the name of Herod Agrippa II, comes to visit the city of Caesarea. You remember all the Herods? This guy, Herod II, he will be the final king of the Jews. There, were, there are no more kings of the Jews after this. He ends up siding with the Romans and, and uh, basically wiping out the nation of Israel in the year of 70 AD, okay? But at this point, at this point, Herod Agrippa is in the city of Caesarea and he's curious to hear from Paul. He's heard all about the fame of Paul and he wants to listen to him. And so he comes with all of his pomp as the king, and he gathers together with him, and he invites Paul to come in. And Festus, the governor, is there, and all that are with Festus. Imagine this scene. Imagine this scene. Paul has the ear 
of the king and all the people with the king. He has an open audience. Technically, he's not even on trial here. He's already appealed to Caesar. He just has the open invitation to talk to the king about his faith in Jesus. Imagine that. And all that are with the king and the Roman governor and all that are with the Roman governor. And so Paul stands up there boldly and he boldly confesses his faith in the resurrected Jesus Christ. God often allows some crazy things to happen, doesn't he? He arranges some marvelous things. A prisoner in the sight of the governor and the king gets to confess Christ. I want to show you a quick video, a one-minute video, um, from what's a movie called The Visual Bible. Some of you that have been in our church a while, we've used the Visual Bible in, in worship a couple of times. Uh, the Visual Bible has, they, they're on YouTube, you can go look them up, but it, it takes uh, the words directly from the Bible, word for word, and it, and it acts them out, so you can kind of visualize this. So I want to show you this one-minute scene. Um, if you want to follow along in the words of the Bible, we're starting at Acts 26, verse 19, and you can just take a look at this. Watch this. So then... King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and to the Gentiles also, I preached that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. That is why the Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But I have had God's help to this very day. And so I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Christ would suffer, and as the first to rise from the dead, would proclaim light to his own people and to the Gentiles. At this Imagine that. What, what was his key message there right at the end? That the Christ should suffer and die and do what? Rise from the dead. Right there right there to the king of the Jews, in front of the Roman governor, he confesses power in the resurrected Jesus. If you want to go home, uh, we've been encouraging you to read through the book of Acts. If you want to watch the movie, word for word from the Bible, go home on YouTube, search for this, Acts Visual Bible, uh, and it's all there. It's a, it's a great, uh, great video to put some of this in context. God often allows wonderfully marvelous things to happen in order for his word to be proclaimed. Think of this. Paul was who? a prisoner. And where does he get brought? In front of the king. He's now had the opportunity to present the gospel in front of Felix, a Roman governor, in front of Festus, a Roman governor, in front of the king of the Jews. Imagine this. Isn't it amazing what God arranges in order for the word of the gospel to be proclaimed? Back to that story of Pastor Brunson. After much work on behalf of Pastor Brunson, in particular uh, by the American government and others, uh, he was finally released from Turkish prison on October 12th of this year, so just, uh, just about a month ago. And when he was released, uh, he was brought back to the United States, and upon his immediate uh, arrival in the United States, he was afforded the opportunity uh, to go directly to the White House uh, and meet with President Trump. 
Now, I know we just got off an, an election cycle and sitting in this room, we have people of uh, political persuasions of all stripes, okay? So what I'm about to show you uh, is not anything political, uh, but what I want to show you is just imagine this in connection with what we just witnessed with Paul, standing before kings, being able to confess Christ. Here's what happened to Pastor Brunson when he got brought back to the United States. He went directly to the Oval Office and he knelt down, put his hand on the shoulder of the president, and prayed for him in the name of Jesus Christ. Take a watch of this. We pray for you. Yes, thank you very much. Okay. No, anyone? Yes. Okay. Okay. So you can. I'll okay. Just do it. Yeah. Lord God, I ask that you pour out your Holy Spirit on President Trump, that you give him supernatural wisdom to accomplish all the plans you have for this country and for him. I ask that you give him wisdom and how to lead this country into righteousness. I ask that you give him perseverance and endurance and courage to stand for truth. I ask that you protect him from slander, from enemies, from those who would undermine. I ask that you make him a great blessing to this country. Fill him with your wisdom and strength and perseverance, and we bless him. May he be a great blessing to our country. In Jesus' name, we bless you. Amen. Amen. And I, I just want to pray that the spirit of the Lord would rest on the president, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. Amen. Thank you very much. That voice you heard at the end was Pastor Brunson's wife, who also uh, was originally sentenced to prison in Turkey, uh, but she was also released. Isn't it amazing what God allows to happen in order for the gospel to be proclaimed? A prisoner by the name of Andrew Brunson now has the opportunity to present the gospel to Muslim inmates, to the Turkish government, in the Oval Office of the President of the United States with cameras flashing and clicking to all those gathered together in that room. Isn't it amazing what God arranges for the gospel to be proclaimed? Sometimes we read these stories in the scriptures. We hear about these stories in the news and we say, okay, cool, I, I get it. God does amazing things. He arranges wonderful, wonderfully marvelous things for his gospel to be proclaimed. I get it. But they seem so far removed from the everyday life situations that you and I face. Do you understand what I'm saying? And sometimes we look at these situations and we say, okay, good for them, but my life is so, so ordinary. It's not, not extraordinary. You know what I find remarkably extraordinary? is that God is fully involved in your ordinary at the exact same time as he's fully involved in the other people's extraordinary. <laughs> and I find that to be equally amazing about the character of God. But after sharing these two stories, here's what I want you to be thinking about. I want you to focus on the fact that these two men took every opportunity that they had to confess and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. What I want you to focus on is that these men made every opportunity afforded to them to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Would you put that final slide up on the screen, please? Jesus is God. He is our Savior. He is the one who died for us. He is the one who rose for us. Jesus is our Savior, and he is our Lord. But I want to ask you today, does the reality of Jesus' resurrection resonate with you? 
Is it on the tip of your lips to be able to boldly confess that Jesus rose from the dead? This is the central truth of Christianity. It is the reason, it is the reason for our existence. What about you? Are you willing, like Paul and like Pastor Brunson, to stand in the face of threats and to confess boldly that word of Jesus Christ? Even if it were to threaten your life, would you stand on the truth of the resurrection of Jesus? I pray that you would, because I pray that you know that without the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, you have no hope to overcome the threats against you. It is only in the resurrection of Jesus that you have the forgiveness of sins today and the promise of eternal life forever, only because Jesus is alive. So I pray for you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, and for us collectively as a church, that we would make the most of every opportunity that is put in front of us to boldly proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ who has risen from the dead. And I pray that you would seize every moment by the power of the Spirit to enable your tongue to speak those words, for your hands to live, and for your body to go in the name of Jesus Christ. Take every opportunity afforded to you, whether large or small, whether ordinary or extraordinary, to speak that truth that you know. Jesus is alive, risen from the dead, now and forever. In his name, amen. Amen.